Queen. Hello, 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 and welcome hello, back. Hello, friends. Jay, I turned your mic on tonight. Ah, thank you so much. You can hear me now. Unfortunately. <laughs> I, I kind of liked it better last week when we Our were just Our listeners kinda... want to hear me. Let's be real about that. Oh, really? <laughs> hey, I'm shutting your mic off now. <laughs> See, what people don't understand is I actually control these knobs at the, bo- at the board here, so... He has all the control, which is not a good thing. And not unusual. <laughs> How was your week? It's been good. It's been uh, tiring. And okay, busy. that's good. Anyway, so next, <laughs> we, um, we, uh, we celebrated my birthday, which was super fun, and Thanksgiving, right? We had fun yeah, in Los we Angeles. We, we tore up LA. We did. It was very fun, and I got to meet your parents. We They're did. super cute. Aww. See where you get your personality from your daddy. They, my dad thought you were my boyfriend. <laughs> We cleared that up real quick. Ew, no. (laughs) Disgusting. (laughs) What are you thinking? Um, You're making the lever go into the red. Oh, so sorry. Let me move this back. So so welcome to Really Queen Radio. This is Brian Kent speaking and... Jay Wilkerson. Jay Wilkerson. So if you're just joining us and this is your first time, what we do each week is I pick a kind of a gay, iconic music legend or somebody that's contributed to gay music culture. And I I try to see if Jay knows who they are. And we try to ed- do a little bit of education, try to, if you know who this artist is, which many of you will, you kind of learn a little bit. And if you don't, you learn a lot yeah, of it. And listen, a lot of it. we encourage people to call in if you've got something to contribute, if you've got something to say, as long as you're not trying to correct me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to talk about and it's hard to do it in 30 minutes. So we're going to do our best. Don't forget we're on Instagram at Really Queen Radio. And our website is reallyqueenradio.com where you can find our podcast every single week after the show. We're now officially on Apple and Alexa and Spotify. And All of it. Stitch. And ChristianMingle.com and (laughs) Grinder. We're everywhere. We're all over the place. If you wanna wanna call in during the show, it's 415-550-0511. Again, that's 415-550-0511. Are you ready to get started with this week's artist? All right, let's do it. Okay. So here we go. I'm not gonna say anything. We're just gonna play and we're gonna see. We're just gonna see what 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 you know what you're what you do with your your face. All right, here we go. literally three words you're like are you excited that you know the words now i know all the words i know the song but i don't know who it is surprise surprise well what do we what do we say when jay does not know who it is really queen really queen (laughs) wow that is ready that is donna summer Donna Summer. You know Donna Summer. You've heard of Donna Summer? Yeah, I've heard of Donna, okay, Donna thank Summer. Thank God. Yeah. That was yeah. one of her big hits in 1975. Actually, an interesting fact, she kind of, she's very religious. Uh-huh. And she had to put her religion aside in order to do Whoa. that track. Because... God doesn't want you loving to love you, baby. No, it's because um, the long version of that song, um, they counted, she actually has 22 orgasms. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh. Oh. oh, so she had to like yeah. put that. She so she literally said, "I had to put my religion aside to be able to do a song where I had okay. twenty-two orgasms." <laughs> and this this is this is a true story. That's the ex- that's that. like the extended. But the song is called "Love to Love You, Baby," and um, it was I think it was probably one of the the first things. I mean, she, she's first of all, she has a lot of accomplishments that you uh-huh. should know about. One of the first things about Donna Summer, she's um, a five-time Grammy Award winner. Oh wow! Okay, so that's that's mm-hmm. a lot. And she was the first. Think about what I'm about to say. She was the first artist to have. Three consecutive double albums reach number one on the Billboard chart. Holy shit. She had double wow. albums. Three yeah. consecutive in a row, right? Wow. She charted four number one singles in the U.S. in a 12-month period. So she had four number ones in 12 months within one year. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. crazy. And, and it said that she has sold over 100 million records. What? How did I not know who this is? <laughs> Bitch got money. Well, she doesn't have money anymore. She's gone. But but uh. yeah, she passed away from, from um, lung disease. Um, yeah, and so there's a, so much history with her. She start, there's so much, but she um, she charted 21 number one hits on the charts over 25 years. And if you think about that, wow. that means that she almost had a a hit, hit single every, every single year. year of her entire career. Holy shit! So it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Um, she started out. It's interesting. She started out uh, in the 1960s, um, kind of when the kind of the whole 60s counterculture was there, which is you know about just kind of rebelling and kind of getting back at the man. And she started yeah. as lead singer of the psychedelic rock band if you can believe that, named Black Crow. Um, She moved to New York City, and she actually did a musical. Really? Okay, now here's interesting. So she speaks fluent German. Okay. Right, so yeah. she was married to a German guy. Okay. So here's the thing: she did she did this musical, um, it, like like for real in the okay. show, and I have a clip of her singing this musical, and it's fucking amazing. Okay, so um, so it's from the musical Hair. Hair. Okay. okay, she was in here, and there's a song in here called White Boys, and she was in the German cast, and she sings in German. So wait, like just listen to this. Let's listen. This is so cool. The song is super funny too. Um, That is Donna Summer (laughs) and her Broadway whitest voice possible. (laughs) That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's great. Who who would have thought that she was, you know, was... Would have been a German... Would have done, did she play a German character? Do you know? Um, well, no. Okay. No. <laughs> She's like, no. She wasn't a German okay, character. Just because they do musicals in other countries doesn't mean they become that nationality. Really? Because like in Starlet Express, they weren't like German trains. Oh. They were just trains. Oh. Yeah. Okay. okay. Thanks for the clarifying. The cats weren't like clarifying. German cats. <laughs> oh, shit. Thanks for clarifying. It's okay, babe. I'm here for you. Um, oh, thank God. But she, she actually started then recording with a guy by the name of Giorgio Moroder. Have you heard that name at all? Super nope. famous producer and writer and... Uh, Pete Pelot, who she worked with, and she's went into a lot of her a lot of her other stuff. Now, the next track that I'm going to play for you, I bet you have heard of it. This song, I think, really. I won't say that it's like really when she started hitting in the gay gay scene like uh-huh. when people um, really started responding to her because I think mm-hmm. "Love to Love You" definitely was it, but this was definitely uh, definitely one of the big ones. Listen to this. Okay.
song before? Yep. You have? Yes, I have. Like where? In the club. In the club? In the club. Girl, what club are you going to? Uh, I've heard oh. this remix by several DJs. Yeah, it's actually been sampled in a lot of tracks, which is um, which is interesting. The song actually comes off of one of her fifth album. It was 1977. And it was said that this song actually started electronic dance music. Wow, really? Yeah. So, huh. you know, they said that it was, uh, the song, first of all, was put into the Library of Congress as a song that was culturally and historically and aesthetically important to society. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of a really big deal. That, that is a huge deal. That's a huge deal. And you can kind of hear that, those like undertones of like that electronic like music underneath. Does she have to put Jesus aside for this one? I, I think, uh, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I think that was just for that one song where just she was coming like over and over and over uh, and over again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but she, you know, it's a couple of other interesting things about her. She, in 1979, which is um, just shortly after the song, which we're going to play a song from 1979 that's like, I don't know. I think of it as kind of a gay anthem, probably one of the bigger songs. But in 1979, she was the first female artist in music history to have two hits in the Billboard Top 3 at the same time. So she had two singles at the same time. Uh And then she did it in the Top 3. In 1979, in the Top 3. And then she did it again that same year in the fall with two different songs. The the first two songs were Hot Stuff and Bad Girls. They were in the Top 3 at the same time. And then later on that year, she had um, a a duet, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute because I I, I want to blow your mind with that one. It's called Enough is Enough, so that's all you need to know. And that's enough. So, um, <laughs> and the second one was dim all the lights. So, it, I mean, that's kind of an amazing thing. She was like taking over the world. She was, the she was world. absolutely taking over the world. And you know, there's, there's some interesting things like what, what would you say? Like if I, people say like, well, what makes somebody a gay icon? Like why is Donna Summer a gay icon? Um, you know, she, she didn't go out and look for it. She, you know, a lot of artists today, I think they go out and it's kind of like it's part of the playbook. Yeah, if you yeah, want to yeah. be successful, like Lady Gaga, Rihanna, if you want to be successful, you have to know the like gay playbook. You have to know what to yeah. do. Um, like Beyonce, I mean, she had her Sasha Fierce character and I think she definitely reached out to that market. And, mm-hmm. you know, if the gay people love you, then... You're set. You're kind of golden. Yeah, you're right? good to go. And, and it was interesting yeah. because this is a time when there was homophobia and there was a lot of things and, and that, that kind of hadn't been laid out yet. And so she didn't really look to become an icon in mm-hmm. the gay community. I think she just kind of, um, I think she kind of fell into it. You know, she kind of hankered into it. I, you could almost say she was um, an accidental icon. Well, also too, like, you know, in our last episode, we were talking about how, uh, what she is singing, like the things that she's singing about, I think has like a huge part in it as well a- absolutely i mean and that's really true i mean it was, mm-hmm. it's sexual and it's it's disco kind of dirty it's, it's and the stuff it's the stuff of the 70s that the gay yeah. community wanted to hear yeah, um totally you know uh it, it's interesting because people like let's say grace jones who we talked about last week you know when she mm-hmm. when she puts out an, an album that she's you know she's creating a disco album of all these broadway hits you know who that's for yeah yeah <laughs> right you know she's doing that for the gays yeah totally. right well with donna summer like it, it just wasn't it wasn't like that and she mm-hmm. was working with a heterosexual producer okay. um and they they weren't club kids they didn't go to studio 54 they yeah. weren't in the scene like like maybe sylvester or grace jones were, were that right. we talked about yeah. yeah and so it really came out of just kind of you know having this great vibe and knowing knowing what people wanted to hear on the dance floor totally without having to be in it and i mean there's something to be 
said that it's just great music all around versus like if you're gay or straight it's just good music you know right. so i think you know her being at the top um so much i mean just says a lot about the music in general and that it's just what a lot of people wanted to listen to and what a lot of people wanted to hear and there's truth to be said that if you make it with a gay community there's longevity to your career oh totally right yeah um you know some of the, the current artists like uh, <laughs> people will say oh yeah all you have to do is hand these new female artists a copy of grace jones's one man show and have them watch paris is burning <laughs> and like that that's like their you know that's like their starter course on like how to become a gay uh, you know gay yeah. icon yeah um and, and like i said she it was the 70s it was a time before these uh, these shifts of uh attitudes towards racism and towards sex sexism and homophobia had changed yeah and so you know that kind of like kind of made her fall into this place and she kind of like accidentally opened the door as they, i mean during that era that's when people were like wanting to break through these barriers and she was kind of like singing about those things that people like wanted to to make not so like taboo you know so. right you know she did have a little falling out with the gay community oh and really yes and so it's a, she say something she's she opened her fucking mouth Ooh. but she said okay we're gonna talk about that in a minute i don't want to go get ahead of myself now okay that's dish honey oh we're gonna, we're gonna tea. now this uh, this next song uh, you have to know this song Okay. She first of all, she has so many. We're not going to get to all of them in, in this one show, but yeah. I'm going to try to get to some of the the bigger ones. Um, I'm just going to let you listen to it. This song is for me just it's iconic and uh -huh. it's huge, and um, it was it was definitely something that I think you know people think of her when they hear the song. It's still 1979. Okay. Um, and so this is 1979, which has all these hits, and she's coming. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. Okay. She's taking over the world. She's That's why the they called her the Queen of Disco. And actually, it's funny that you said that <laughs> because her staff, the nickname, her staff used to call her. Queen. Oh, really? Like it was a joke at first. Well, and now they just call her Queen, and like so accurate, so accurate. Oh my <laughs> God, you're learning, I'm learning. Okay, so much. listen to this. Oh, 
Okay, Jay used to think that she was saying someone left the K out in the rain. That is what she's saying. Someone the, left oh my the God. K out in the rain. Girl. I would feel the same way, Donna. I would feel the same way. <laughs> I mean, okay, we have we have some guests in the studio, by the way, which you don't know. We have uh, Kenny Nelson and Tommy Nelson. Thomas Nelson. Sorry, Tommy. Hi. Hi, guys. They're just visiting us. And we literally just gayed the fuck out here. <laughs> like, we, we were all, and they're all young. These bitches are like 28, 30. They're like, t- like I don't know, a few years older than me. Kiddos. And we're all just like living. And that's what it is. Like, that that has that kind of effect, that music, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. just It just makes you want to get up and dance. Makes you want to get up and dance. So, let's yep. get back quickly, quickly to this thing about the little controversy that she had. Okay. So, in the mid-80s, this is when this happened, and she allegedly, allegedly had made an anti-gay remark remarking, uh, regarding AIDS. Okay. She said something, it was something to the effect of, um, she, at this time, she was a born-again Christian, and so uh-huh. she was alleged to have said that AIDS was a punishment from God for the <sighs> immortal lifestyles of homosexuals. What? Or something like that. Ooh. I might have drama that up a little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I made it a little more dramatic. So there was no like recording of this. No, it was said I think at like some event or something. So I think that so there was like there was, he was, said, she said kind is, of thing. Right, and okay. also this is the eighties. There was less proof back then. Yeah, um, but yeah, that it was legend. So she did apologize. She did say that she didn't. You know, she denied it. Okay, and um, she said it was a terrible misunderstanding. And yeah. but I will say this: it did hurt her career. It did. Because following following the 80s, it was kind of like at first, you know, a lot of the gays that had loved her had said, you know, I'm not, they sent, they sent records back to the record label. Oh, wow. Um, they were they were very pissed off. And, yeah. you know, when the gays get mad, don't a, fuck with the gays. And that is a touchy topic to be yeah. talking about. Don't fuck sure. with the gays. The yeah. gay, and this was when it was just right happening and it was yeah. really raw, raw. And, and people were just like, what the fuck? You should be there speaking on our behalf, not yeah, against us. So, us. you know, she sure. did say that she denied it and so forth. But, you know, kind of, it's one of those things where when you get to that point, it's hard to get back from there. Totally. Um, and if you have since, everyone thinking one thing, it's hard to get people to think another thing, you know? Yeah, um, it is. Um, and, and she, you know, she wrote a letter. Um, she wrote a letter at, at explaining uh, to, to act up actually what, what she had said, but mm-hmm. she closed her letter with Bible quotes. I mean, girl, oh God. girl, <sighs> Uh, no, no. So where's her team of people? Where's her team of people? They're obviously working for Trump now. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, but you know, uh, but that, but you know, whatever it passed and I think people mm-hmm. kind of like it slid, but it did. I think at first it really did hurt her and it, it was a shame because she had been such an icon for so long yeah. to kind of have that like stinky message, especially, you know, if you look at people now like Lady Gaga, who's completely the opposite of that. And, yeah, and not to totally. say again that Donna said that because I, I don't know, allegedly she said that I mean it's hard to really like I kind of feel like unless you're in country music it's kind of hard to mix your religion and the things like that you're like supporting in your music you know what I mean it's like hard to to cross those those lines so yeah you can see why that would get sticky you know it's interesting she though has influenced a generation of artists I mean there's so many people I mean I know when I worked for Christine W as her backup singer she she absolutely lived for Donna Summer I mean it was her idol it was oh, yeah. everything she did um, I think her her most obvious modern successor is Beyonce Hmm. For sure, okay. for sure. That I makes mean, sense. Uh, just you know, uh, just not only the fact that um, some of her music just transposed is very sexual, um, you know, her dragish alter ego, but she actually yeah. segues one of her first hits, um, "Naughty Girl," uh-huh. into "Love to Love You, Baby." 
Oh. So if you listen to Naughty Girl, yeah. you're going to hear Love to Love You, Baby. Right. I didn't even know that that yep. came and from a Donna Summer song. That came from a Donna Summer song. Nope. Um, no idea. Yeah. And so um, so she sampled that on her 2004 hit. And then Jennifer Lopez recorded a cover of On the Radio, which I'm about to play for you in a little bit, um, in 2010. And then um, another song I'm going to play for you in a little bit called Last Dance was performed um, a ton of times on American Idol by a, a lot of the performers. Yeah. There. And she actually made an appearance on one of the American Idols. I think she was a guest judge. Donna did? Uh huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I think it was season seven that she joined in. And I, I think I don't know if she's just singing or if she's judging, but I know she was definitely a part of it. So then we all went to gay heaven when this happened. Okay, okay. I'm not going to tell you who was singing with her, but when this shit laid down, I think every gay person in the world oh. peed their pants. Right? <laughs> no, seriously, this is like yeah, this is like the. It doesn't get better than this. All right. Tell me you know who's singing with her. You have to know that no. voice. You don't know the voice? Whitney Houston? <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> that's his Grace Jones? That's her go-to. Okay, first of all, she's white. Okay. <laughs> she's Jewish. She's a legend. She's an actress, director, 
She is, is producer. Okay. She has, just she's Jewish. Give it to me. It's Barbara Streisand. Ah, uh, okay. Now I want to hear it. Now. Yeah. Now, now you want to hear it? No, no, no. Now <laughs> I now I hear it. Now I hear it. Yeah. So um, it's amazing. So, of course, you know, Barbara Streisand being a gay icon herself. Yeah. And then Donna Summer. Uh-huh. It was just, it was like. Yee. And this was like in the 80s after the scandal. This is like beyond that. No. So enough, enough enough happened in 1979 as oh, okay. well. That was her big year. Oh, okay. Everything got fucked up in the 80s, oh, obviously. Okay with that scandal yeah. but this was 1979 pretty cool right yeah i mean you can see why gay people are just like what but i also don't know her very well either what do you mean Bar- yeah <laughs> queen. i know queen. <laughs> you got two for that bitch i know i, I deserve oh, well, it well i got i deserve God. it I, we're gonna be doing the show for four years <laughs> good teach me I mean, four years, that's 200 people that you don't know. <laughs> well, she's learning. She's learning. She's learning. And that's what this is about. You know, I just play with you, but you know, this is, this is about passing down the information and the knowledge. So my, one of my favorite Donna Summer songs, which mm-hmm. was one of the ones that was in the top with, with the other, with another track at the same time, that uh-huh. whole thing. Yeah. So this is a song. I remember this, like I was a kid. I mean, I, this was 1979. I was like nine years old. And I remember, I think I actually still have this album. Why are you laughing? That's true. I'm just thinking about nine-year-old Brian running around his house, like singing she songs to the top of her lungs. She was a fucking mess. Ooh. She was running around. She was giving you high heels. Sure, you were stressing you. your dad out, honey. I mean, she didn't know. She didn't, I didn't know her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I did know my dad for a, a little bit. Um, so, but no, seriously. Uh, but no, it was it was one of my favorite songs. Um, again, it was produced by Giorgio Moroder, who did so much, um, and it was written for a movie for a movie called foxes which i never saw i don't know uh-huh. but this song for me i just remember it was the i think it was the first song on the album which is why it stays in my head but it was a double album of okay. her and i think i actually still have it in a box somewhere i have all my vinyl i kept all my vinyl from the time i was a little kid so it's probably worth something now so a double album yeah a double well you like open it and, and there's one two? side well sometimes it's trouble but sometimes it's just like it's an album and then it has like just like, like a like it's like a book oh okay yeah. sometimes there's two on each side Yes, a double album would be two. You can only fit six songs. Double, right. (laughs) Okay, so let's listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. So sexy. have to go like buy her stuff now and like listen to it i do every single it time gets, we do it, the show it, it picks up too it's it's like a lot of her stuff starts slow and then gets gets louder um and then she just like gets all emotional and then see it so see she, she gets it up okay here we go we broke up last June. Okay, I'll stop singing. So, anyways, um, yeah. So, you know, here's a fun, a couple little fun facts about her. Okay. So, she's also an artist. 
She's like an accomplished artist who sells like her art for, for hundreds of thousands of dollars. What? You can go online and look at some of her art and it's, I don't know exactly what, if it's canvas, I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah. I just know that she's very accomplished and she sells for like tens of thousands of dollars her art, of course, because it's her. Yeah. And wow. do you remember, do you, I bet you remember this. Do you remember a TV show called Family Matters? Yeah. With Urkel? Yes. So she's on an episode of this where she plays, uh-huh. she plays Urkel's aunt, shy aunt, aunt, Una, I think it's, it's O-O-N-A. It's, I think it's Aunt Una. Okay. And she visits, and this is the funniest thing. So she gets up on stage and she talks like Urkel. Well, she's lip syncing, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she's talking like a freak, and then she starts singing one of her songs, and then suddenly she's good, and she and then uh-huh. she comes back to that voice. But I watched the clip today, and I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up. I'm like, girl, things must have been rough. You were on Urkel. <laughs> Okay. Now, this one, girl, I know you know the I know you know this the song. I know you have to know the song because cuz I know cuz this is about you. Okay. Yeah, I've heard this one for sure. You know what it is? 1983 bitch. <laughs> yeah, you know this one, right? Yeah, I know this one. So she, this is like one of her big, biggest hits of the 80s. And she actually wrote this because she went to a Grammys party. Uh-huh. And she went into the bathroom at the Grammys party. And there was this older woman working in the bathroom. And she had fallen asleep. She was like the bathroom attendant. And she okay. fell asleep. Yeah. And, and, she, and Donna said to herself, girl, this, this bitch works hard for the money. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, that would be an amazing song. Yes. And so she she went home and she grabbed, she grabbed some toilet paper. And wrote she, it. And she wrote the song. Wow. On a piece of toilet paper. That's amazing. That's kind of cool. Holy shit. Right? Who knew that? Who knew that? We didn't know that. Um, we're coming to the end of our show. What the hell? This goes so fast. I feel so like quick. I can't believe it's over. I know. I know. I know. I know. So I just want to end with this. I'm going to end by playing a medley, a Donna medley that has um, a, a few songs in it just to give her a little light. Um, it's Dim All the Lights, Hot Stuff, Bad Girls, Last Dance. So it's a little bit of a medley. Okay. Um, and I, we're going to end on this note. So I want to thank everybody for listening again thank this you week. Guys. You guys have been so awesome. And we really appreciate all of your support. Don't forget, um, we're also on Rainbow Radio. So it's Rainbow, Rainbow Radio. FM Fridays at 7.30. It's basically this show, um, but we're syndicated and we're so happy to be a part of that family. I want to thank Tweeka Turner once again for having us be a part of House of Pride Radio. And um, that's it. Thank you guys so much. If you have ideas for a show, if you want to just say hello to us, if you want to tell me off, if you have some, whatever, (laughs) we have an email address. You can reach us through our website for everything. It's realqueenradio.com. Sign up on you our it. yeah. Sign us up and yep. and reach out and um, thank you guys so much for listening and we're gonna see you uh, next week and next we week, have we have a surprise because you don't know who's gonna be next week. Next week I got something really fun so I'm super I excited. Wait. All right, thank you guys so much. Bye friends. Bye friends. <laughs> really Queen Radio. Bye. Bye bye.
be sent to the Pacific to bomb and to die and be died, kill and be killed. All that was happening. And of course, they left a footprint. Yes, they did. And they did a lot of um, apparently some nuclear testing over on the San Francisco Hunters Point shipyard on animals. And a lot of those animal bodies were buried right in the soil there. And so uh, may, uh, was it Mark Farrell yesterday was uh, quoted and the Sa- uh, San Francisco comical. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the San Francisco yeah. Chronicle. Uh, basically, he says that he would, quote, along these lines, recommend that his friends and family or anyone else should live on San Francisco Hunters Point shipyard. So uh, I, I basically told him I'm my Twitter feed. Okay, so you were saying one thing before that you were against the Hunters Point shipyard because it's possibly toxic. Now you flip-flopped and said that you would invite your friends and family to live there. Okay, yeah. so you know what I said? Okay, so Mark Farrell's eating dirt in terms oh, yeah. of his word, okay? Oh, so I, I'm saying, he's you know what? Toxic dirt. <laughs> he's eating dirt. Well, and I said, okay, so you know what? Mark Farrell, since you've got a bunch of kids, I'd like to see your kids play and eat dirt because kids do if they're playing in the dirt don't they um, have your kids play and eat dirt out there and let's let's see it dare you yeah, it see how, how safe it is yeah, you, uh, yeah, you let your get, kids play there he's gonna ignore you he's not gonna do a lot these are politicians as you know quite well and as you've really gotten to learn you know before learn the way you're running have you did you go to a lot were you a lot of the for they had some forums not as many as the mayor's forums yes but some forums where you met your other candidates yes I did um, the first one that I attended was the Harvey Milk one and in fact, there was a young woman out here um, that I was chatting about and said the same thing. I, I got so overcome with emotion on the taser piece to find that so many in the community were supportive of, you know, no tasers for the SFPD. I, I kind of lost my voice and forgot what I was going to say for the rest of the conversation. A little bit better for the LGBT uh, San Francisco De- uh, Democratic Club's uh, mayoral forum. We all showed up and we were all invited and uh, we were all standing or uh, sitting on the stage and uh, lo and behold, we all RSVP'd, except for London Breed. Uh, London Breed uh, came over and just kind of showed up unannounced. He didn't RSVP. We, no one had any idea and kind of crossed her arms and sat in the press only section and gave us all the eye. And I was like, well, golly, I've never met you, but gee, it's not really a good introduction there. <laughs> And of course, our candidates, by our candidates, she announced her that she was running for mayor. Back then, like, who am I talking about? Announced she was running for mayor right here. Oh, well, Amy Weiss announced her run, her first run for mayor in 2015. Yep. So uh, Mutiny Radio and specifically the Common Thread Collective right and here. Women's Magazine have been a real, like, central part of, um, you know, a place where people can come and, and Do what you're doing. kind of branch out and, uh, you know, explore these different ideas of uh, what what's possible, what's necessary, and what can be done. So um, thanks and for being here, Michelle. And thank you so much. I appreciate your invitation and uh, again, uh, vote for Michelle Bravo for mayor, San Francisco, in this special election, 2018. Thank you again for having me, Diamond. And way, way beyond the, uh, thank you. Way beyond Tuesday. I want to look at you. See, you see, you're part. Uh, you're welcome to. You're part of it. I, you said that. I know your learning curve is not going to end uh, on Tuesday. Uh, uh, end on Tuesday, but we'll continue. Every step is a step along the way. As we do what? Learn to love. Learn to love. Love to learn. Love to learn. That's what never ends. That's what and never ends. Just, you're always welcome here. And uh, 
I look forward to it. What do you think, Val? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy we're all coming together in our community here. And thank you, Michelle Bravo, for being my guest on Women's Magazine today. And um, we all are coming together here as we look at look in the face of uh, politics and, and what democracy can mean for all of us in this country and specifically here in the city. And um, I'm, I'm really... It, I'm really excited today um, because we've been kind of working up to this, getting ready for this. Um, we have a, we have three candidates here today. Um, well, we have Michelle, who's a candidate for mayor, um, but we have three candidates here today who are running um, for the U.S. House of Representatives to represent District 12 here in San Francisco. It's Nancy Pelosi's district that she's been, um, you know, the representative of for a, a rather long time. Um, and so I'd like to introduce our guests today. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a forum um, and a conversation with, um, with, with, with these candidates who have uh, thrown their hat in the ring as well and um, have definitely a lot to, sh to share and contribute about what they see as the most important issues uh, facing not only San Francisco but the country. So else we're going to get a chance to see what we do here, how we roll, because people get a lot of different ideas and much you see it yourself, you, you won't have that good idea how we roll. And so here we are. So is John going to do another song? Oh, uh, no, we're going to go straight into the forum. We're, okay. we're running, running through, but maybe John will come back later. Yeah, well, yeah he's got to go. Okay, yeah. John, let's So I want to introduce, and, and if, gentlemen, if you want to pick up your um, microphones for a moment there. Let's see, see how we're doing on... Thank you for joining us in this rather relaxed forum here at Mutiny Radio. Um, so we've got uh, three candidates here. Shahid Buttar. Great to be with you. We've got Barry Hermanson from the Green Party. Yep, Mike's working. Yeah. Yep, Mike's working. And uh, Ryan Kojaste. Hello, everybody. Hello. All right. I am going to turn your mics up just a little bit just to make sure we've got uh, some good quality sound on you here. Well, why don't we start with, um, so Shahid, uh, you're, you're the first person in line here and the person with the best microphone so far. Um, I, would love, I would love it if you could um, introduce yourself a little bit, um, a little bit about your background and uh, why you're running for uh, Congress right now. Sure. Thanks, Val. Uh, my name's Shahid Buttar. I'm a constitutional lawyer. I came out of Stanford Law School 15 years ago. Uh, I taught constitutional law there as a teaching assistant. Uh, I worked most recently at the Electronic Frontier Foundation as the organization's director of grassroots advocacy. Uh, I've got 15 years of experience building the progressive movement uh, across the country here in San Francisco, in Washington, D.C., um, and at the local and state level, and lots of different points in between. I'm running for Congress particularly because we are living in a historical moment when we need Congress to show up for work. And under the leadership of a bipartisan corporate establishment, we've seen Congress march lockstep uh, in, in the aggrandizement of an executive branch that threatens the rights and liberties of all Americans, as well as the future. And this is no time for uh, people who put their careers before their public service, as I fear that uh, Nancy Pelosi has grown comfortable doing, and I'm very eager to see our city represented meaningfully in Washington. San Francisco is a unique city. Uh, it's, a, it's a tech capital. It's an LGBT mecca. It's a peace and justice um, uh, center. And, you know, if you remix these different communities, and, it, and we're a city of iconoclasts, of people who came here from elsewhere, largely, and I am an immigrant to this country. Uh, I've been an advocate for LGBT marriage equality since 2004, 10 years before the Democratic establishment. Uh, I've been 
been arrested in lots of different cities trying to stop wars that Nancy Pelosi has voted to fund. Um, and watching the co-optation of San Francisco's voice in Washington has been uh, more than I've been willing to accept from the sidelines. That's why I'm running. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here and for letting us know a little bit about where you're coming from. Um, and I'd like to go down the line with just so we can continue with our introductions. Barry Hermanson, who's running on the Green Party ticket. Barry, thank you so much for, for coming back to Mutiny Radio. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. That's uh, a great show that you guys have. So um, I've, I've been a candidate before and uh, uh, my major issues that I've been working on, I've been working on universal health care for 20 years. Um, I'm wearing a T-shirt today that has an image of, of an older image of the card that I'm using as a campaign card, U.S. Budget Priorities. And I first developed this um, in 2007 and 2008 uh, to show just the dramatic uh, a percentage of our national discretionary budget that is devoted to military year in and year out. I developed this um, in a campaign originally against uh, uh, Tom Lantos um, uh, leading up to the uh, 2008 primary. Uh, he died in office and Jackie Speer uh, became the front runner. And I'm, I'm very proud to say that um, uh, she, she did win that, that special election primary. Um, uh, and then I caught her on a vote uh, in the summer of 2008 to support uh, uh, just an enormous bloated military budget. And I printed it on the back of my campaign card. Um, uh, and so just telling voters uh, throughout uh, the district uh, what she had done. And I'm very proud to say that she's been a very reliable vote ever since then against uh, uh, military spending. Um, I'm trying to do the same thing uh, with uh, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, last year, she voted uh, uh, along with it, the vote was 344 to 81 in the House. And in the Senate, it was 89 to 8 to give President Trump 10 of billions of dollars more for the military than he had even requested. And so this information is on the back of my current campaign card. Um, uh, people throughout the district are getting this info. They really don't get information uh, about this sort of thing. Uh, the, the Chronicle, when they first reported it on Saturday, July 15th, uh, the 344 to 81 vote in the House, they reported that at the time it was $30 billion more than Trump had asked. Um, um, and they reported the numbers, 344 to 81, but they did not report that Nancy Pelosi had voted yes. And it, in my mind, they are uh, in collusion. Uh, oh, uh, by the way, they printed it on page 7A on a Saturday morning below the fold, pretty much guarantee that people would not see it. And this is kind of information from our major media that is hid from us, that there is no debate, no discussion. And I believe that instead we need to have funding for education. Let's educate our children. Uh, let, let us feed people. Let us house people who are homeless. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Barry. Barry Hermanson running on the green ticket, green party ticket. And then we have Ryan Kojaste. Ryan. Welcome back, Ryan. Yeah. Welcome back to all three of you. Thank you all for having me back. Uh, My name is Ryan Kojaste. I'm San Francisco Bay Area native, born and raised here, did all my schooling here. I'm currently finishing up law school at UC Hastings. 
I'm San Francisco's youngest immigrant rights commissioner, appointed by the Board of Supervisors a month after Donald Trump was elected president. And to be honest, I never envisioned myself running for Congress at 24 years old, let alone against the leader of the Democratic Party. I'd like to begin by saying that I respect Nancy Pelosi very much for her decades of service, but at the end of the day, we do need to pass on the torch. A lot of us are frustrated with the direction the Democratic Party uh, is taking, and unfortunately, the unwillingness to fight for the progressive policies that the people of San Francisco uh, believe in. So we, our campaign here, and you can see a lot of young people on our campaign here as well, we're not here running for myself. We're running on an idea that we need to have Congress reflect the demographics of America. We need more young people, we need more working families, more immigrant families, more everyday people who actually understand issues up there with a seat at the table to help determine how we resolve the mess that we're in. Especially this next generation, we're inheriting the greatest mess of all time. We're worse off than our parents' generation. So I think it's really important that we allow marginalized communities to believe that they too can run for office. That's why we're so proud to have a How to Run for Office video series literally teaching people how they too can run for office. We've had to make mistakes along the way. We weren't able to hire consultants. We did this all on our own. Hard work, passion, grit, sacrifice, and we're here today, four days before an election that could very well make us the youngest campaign in history to ever challenge a sitting member of Congress. I think this is an important moment to speak truth to power, to say, look, we're respectful, we're not attacking our incumbent, but at the end of the day, the only way to progress our country is through change. So let's have a meaningful debate on the issues and talk about what is the best direction to take, not only for the Democratic Party, but for the United States of America. And that's why we're in this race. We're excited. We're energized. We're ready to go. And I'm excited personally to vote for myself. I think it'd be an emotional moment given the fact that my parents fled a revolution to come to this country and now their kid is on the ballot. That is the epitome of the American dream. So I'm happy to be here and I look forward to engaging in a dialogue with the other challengers. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan Kojaste. And Diamond Dave, you have a question. I do. Now, each and every one of you, all three of you, uh, we've had conversations earlier on. There's been a lot of water under the bridge since you were last in here. Is that right? But you were in here. Is that right? Just go. Yeah, I, 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 what I'd like to ask you, that was really early in the campaign. Yeah. You were just getting started. Now I hear you now, some months down the line, you're really proud of yourselves, really able to, to find yourself in a way, proud of yourself and find yourself, and here you are, here you are, and I want to ask you, what, uh, what, what, was, what, what has the campaign been like? What have you learned, been learned in this campaign? You've been going to, uh, you've been going to various functions, I assume. You've been getting out there in the city, I assume. You've been at various forums where the three of you sit together, maybe. I don't know about whether you've seen Nancy Pelosi or had a chance to talk to her, but here we are just a few days before Election Day. What are the lessons? What do you think? What are you going to tell yourself? What do you tell yourself about all the time you put in wanting to be elected? And by the way, to the people who don't know listening out there, this is not going to be ranked choice, is that right? This is uh, this is where you vote for a single candidate, and eventually two candidates will be out, and they might both be Democrats. 
It's not going to be a Democrat or Republican any longer. Those days are over. The top two that can then come out of the primary and will run again. Am I right so far? You got it. Okay, so you still have a ways to go. What are you? Hopefully, what are you three? Maybe have a ways to go. So tell us what it's been like. One correction. Uh, you just mentioned Republicans and Democrats. I believe there'll be a Democrat versus a Green on the ballot in November. All right. Well, Barry, how is it? How is this? You, you've run for office before. Um, you said you mentioned earlier. Um, so, what is to Diamond Dave's question? What has this campaign been like for you? Well, thanks for the question. Um, I have an article that I've just written. It just has been published online uh, for the San Francisco Bayview newspaper. And the title of it um, is um, It's Difficult or It's Hard to Be a Green Party Candidate in a Democratic Party Town. Uh, you mentioned forums. I don't get invited. Um, uh, the Democratic clubs, the 38 Democratic clubs in San Francisco, um, uh, ever since Matt Gonzalez narrowly lost uh, to uh, Green Party candidate Matt Gonzalez narrowly lost to Gavin Newsom back in 2003, all of the Democratic Party clubs in town have been barred uh, from endorsing anyone but a Democrat. Um, uh, and I understand it was the Harvey Milk Club that actually had switched their endorsement from Tom Amiano uh, to Matt Gonzalez since Matt actually uh, got into the runoff against uh, uh, Newsom. And so there's a deliberate attempt uh, in, 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 because um, I, they cannot consider me for an endorsement without losing their, their charter. Um, uh, it also means that the clubs don't invite me. And, and I, so in my article, I say, you know, there are positives and negatives to this. Um, uh, the, obviously, the negative is not being able to speak to people who are voters, uh, even for their consideration. Uh, but the real positive thing is that it has given me much more time uh, to be out on the streets talking to people. I'm not filling out questionnaire, endless questionnaires uh, for all these groups. And this goes to any organization that is tied to the Democratic Party as well, uh, where I don't get consideration. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's really amazing. Uh, I, I, I'll, I can only speak uh, particularly about my history with labor, and I do so in my article. Um, uh, SEIU, uh, back in 2006, they had invited me when I was a candidate for state assembly, and both of the Democratic Party candidates I, I admitted during the interview uh, I, with the uh, rank and file, they had not done as much for working people as I had. And I've never been invited, been invited back. I, I was told in advance of the meeting not to expect an endorsement. Uh, CNA, the California Nurses Association, I've been working with them for a long time on their number one policy objective, single payer. They won't mention me to their members, uh, uh, yet I support their number one objective. Nancy Pelosi does not. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I've had the most fun, basically, in this campaign. It's been energizing. I, I get up every day and go out, and I'm hitting five, six, seven hundred doors. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm meeting people. This is the best campaign of all the ones that I have uh, done. So... Thanks. That is really interesting. You kind of get to have free range because uh, it's almost like with the systems that set up, you have nothing to lose. You know, you can get out there and and uh, 
talk about the important issues and not have to worry about the backlash of what's really concerning to me is the major question and i have it on my campaign card why does the leadership of the Democratic Party prioritize military spending over everything else? And that is not the question that I'm allowed to ask in the labor community. It's not the question I'm allowed to any Democratic Party uh, a club. Uh, it's, it's, it, it is protecting the leadership of the Democratic Party, as far as I'm concerned, so that there can be no debate. Okay, thank you. I want seven. We know that, but also we know that some people who who enroll. I've got friend Barry, Barry, whatever president from Vermont, from Vermont, running for president. Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Bernie, how about Bernie? Here's Bernie. Bernie said I'm running a Democratic, but I'm a Democratic socialist. And in fact, he never he never gave that up. We always spoke of a Democratic socialist, and he was kind of a green. He went to Vermont as part of the Back to the Land Green movement. He was running, but I don't think he's ever said I'm a Democrat in the usual sense. And I think the ways you can get over, ways you can get over, up to Sinclair, socialists back then were running for, for governor of California on the epic to end poverty in California ticket, uh, was a socialist who ran as a Democrat. There are probably ways you can figure it out, but I understand what you say, Barry, and I'm so glad that you're here. Let's hear it from the next one. What's it been like? Yeah, Shahid, what has it been like Shahid. for you? Sorry to <laughs> I just caught, caught you off guard a little bit. I apologize for That's that. Golf cart is good. Um, looks like we're just keeping, yeah, we're just keeping the door closed to make sure we can get everybody's voices heard. So, Shahid, this this campaign for you, I know that um, so much advocacy work in your background, but not um, not particularly a fan of electoral politics. What's it been like for you as a candidate for Congress? It's a remarkably privileged opportunity to help mold a public conversation. You know, among the things I've learned are all the different ways that people can participate to help build a voice that is bigger than any one of us. And I've been really humbled by the contributions of all of our different volunteers and all of our different supporters. You know, we have uh, hundreds of supporters. We have hundreds of volunteers. It's a remarkably inspiring thing to witness a community of people come together across so many different communities, right? I mean, to see uh, people concerned about immigrant rights, to see people concerned about the military co-optation of our federal spending priorities, to see people concerned about health care, to concerned about housing, uh, concerned about the co-optation of the internet as a tool for global surveillance or the human rights abuses in which Nancy Pelosi has unfortunately proven complicit. Uh, people concerned about all these different issues are coming together around our campaign and it is a um, it, it's it's a very humbling feeling, you know. When I started out, I felt very much like a David confronting a Goliath without a sling, and uh, you know, our supporters are the sling. It's it. I feel very much like a um, the possibilities that have emerged are are greater than what I could possibly have imagined at the outset, and so that's one thing I've learned. I've also at the same time learned that our civic uh, culture has eroded far worse than I even fear. Um, for instance, I've sat in rooms where I've watched a uh, community of of color, um, a high income community of color, uh, at a mayoral forum greet with tepid applause one of the mayoral candidates who has long championed its interests 
while then greeting with roaring applause a candidate who very warmly talked about how uh, they would basically fleece this community and oppose its interests at every turn. And to watch people cheer as they were basically being fed their own flesh was really disturbing to me. And, you know, it, it exposed for me, you know, on the one hand, uh, for me as a long-established issue advocate entering the electoral arena, a lot of people told me uh, that people don't have the attention span or the preparation to even understand what I might have to offer and, and teach and share. And I think on the one hand, while I've observed that to be the case in the broader political culture, which you know maybe is more concerned about sports scores than the policies that will enable people to live and thrive and survive in our city. Uh, at the same time, I've seen a lot of people with very well-established concerns who've come out of the woodwork and, and blown wind in our sails. And I'm, I'm very excited to have their support and to represent their interests both in this race and hopefully in Washington. Well, that's that is that is exciting to to have have these kind of winds come through. Uh, kind of the winds of change you mentioned real quickly there. The the, the people paying attention to sports. Uh, there's a new movement of, of people, mostly men across the country, men of color, and, and it doesn't matter what color you are, but men who are um, black, trying to black out the NFL um, by not going to the games, not buying tickets, not buying paraphernalia, um, and uh, basically just boycotting the NFL. And, and, and instead... Just to jump on that, I mean, think it's because the NFL is boycotting athletes who have the temerity to go so far as to not even raise their voices, but merely to kneel in silent, respectful, peaceful protest. That's so offensive for the NSL, NFL that athletes are getting blacklisted. This is basically a countervailing you know, effort by consumers to flex our purchasing power to hold the NFL accountable to our own constitutional values. And I think it's particularly galling that Nancy Pelosi can't come out and very clearly support a star athlete in her town who's being silenced by an industry. I think it's a very telling reflection of where her own allegiances are. And also that that movement is um, what I, what's particularly kind of moving about it is that in, these people are dedicating themselves to not watch football on Sunday, but instead to actually go out and and do community work and bring young people in and, and like offer their energy to their community as opposed to a lifetime of Sundays on the couch. So um, I see that the 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 changes that are happening on, you know, different levels that we're not necessarily expecting. Um, I can see how maybe that's ex uh, coming into play in this in this election. So Ryan, maybe we can have your response to Diamond Dave's question um, of, I know you talked a little bit about how this has been really energizing for you, um, but t talk a little bit more about um, what, what the whole process has been and the kind of, maybe kind of the reactions that you've been getting um, being the youngest person to run for Congress. Of course, it's, <clears throat> it's been a learning experience. We went into this really, <clears throat> not knowing exactly what the process entailed to run for office. So we've learned so much in the process and we have been very humbled by individuals who've really resonated with our message. But at the end of the day, politics is politics and there'll always be gatekeepers. So the important message that I have for anybody that wants to run is keep your head up. People will try to tear you down. They'll try and thwart your campaign, start rumors, say that you're not qualified or you don't deserve to run. But at the end of the day, it's the people of San Francisco that get to decide, not some powers that be who try and dictate who, whose turn it is to run.
So that's why we have been so excited that the press have decided to write about us. The Examiner, Weekly, Chronicle, things that we never thought would be possible because at the end of the day, these are established newspapers. And I think that shows how strong our message is that at the end of the day, I'm representing an idea. I'm not running for Ryan Kojaste. I'm running so that all of us see something being done. And that instead of us complaining, we have an opportunity to take power back into our own hands. And it's a hard process. I was very nervous at the beginning, but I think now I've really found my voice. And I know that people are watching this because they want to believe in hope again. They want to believe that if this can be done, if we can set this precedent, break this glass ceiling, it would reverberate throughout the country. And hopefully more young people will say, look, if I'm upset, if I'm frustrated, the best way that I can do something about this and represent my community is throwing my hat in the ring. And it's not about winning or losing at this point, because as Shah had mentioned before, it was about molding a dialogue. We can have people start talking about these issues, because at the end of the day, the important thing is what the future of the Democratic Party is going to look like. And it doesn't look like people who've been around for 30 plus years. I don't think anybody should be in office for that long. It's important to have new voices, and it's important that we actually hold our leaders accountable. And that's why it's been so amazing to be out at these BART stops, at these muni stops, knocking on doors. People are excited to speak to a candidate. It's been maybe 30 years that someone for Congress has knocked on some people's doors. And I'm saying, look, I'm running for Congress and I want to know what keeps you up at night. And they can believe that you can trust in government again. People don't trust our government. And that's why a lot of the reason that people didn't go out to vote in 2016 or people voted for the candidate saying, let's drain the swamp. And now we live in a nightmare. We got to strengthen the Democratic Party. That's by getting people energized and believing that they can take their frustration out at the polls and elect a new generation of leadership. Well, Ryan, while you have the microphone, um, let's get into some of this policy because I think all of you have illustrated to to me, at least as our guest today, but also as our guests in the past, that you really all seem to have a very kind of big picture um, idea of some of the different things that really need to be addressed in order to really start helping people and making government work for, for um, society. So Ryan, while you still have the microphone, what are some of the, you know, couple top things that, that if you're elected that you would really jump into um, you know, with, with two feet and, and try to enact change on right away. Of course. I'd first like to begin by saying that if I'm elected, I can't do anything on my own, which is why we need more good people not beholden to special interests and corporations running for office so we can actually change our discretionary budget and have it reflect the interests of the American people and not the special interests. I think an issue we all agree on is that our military budget is out of whack. And we gotta, we gotta change that. One specific example that really bothered me was in, tw in 2017, the National Defense Reauthorization Act. The Democratic leadership, Harris, Feinstein, Schumer, and Pelosi, all agreed that we need to raise Trump's military budget by $80 billion. Yet we can grant free two-year and four-year higher public education for every family in this country making less than $150,000. The federal government's share would be $47 billion. We could have people going to school, get educated because they're the future and help increase our GDP and, and really bolster our economy. But instead, we're funding the military industrial complex at the expense of the American people. I think at the end of the day, it's so important that we have campaign finance reform that we gotta overturn Citizens United. I can't do that on my own. We need a lot of people to support that. But one thing that's really important that I'd like to really have a national dialogue on is by making incremental progress on campaign finance reform is banning candidate contributions to your own campaign. 
Why should you have people like Dianne Feinstein who can sit on $8 million of her own money, put it into a campaign? The money should come from the people. Another really important thing for me is universal healthcare, a single payer Medicare for all healthcare system. Why do I support it? I had my family lose their healthcare coverage in the recession. I know what it's like to not be able to go to the doctor. I don't want any of my neighbors or anybody in this country to ever lose a home or go bankrupt or become homeless because they can't afford to fight a disease they never wanted in the first place. We need to have that. We have the money to do it, but unfortunately we have people beholden to pharmaceutical industries and insurance industries. They're not going to do it. And one last thing I want to say too that's a really hot button issue is common sense gun reform. I lost my cousin to gun violence in the 90s. This is an issue that is post-partisan. The majority of Americans, 70% of Americans believe that we need to close the loopholes on private transfers and at gun shows. Why can't we do that? We gotta make sure we can get the NRA out of our politics. The best way we can do that is having people who live those issues, who've been affected by those issues, to stand up and instead of being pragmatic, let's be passionate, let's fight for it, let's raise hell in Washington. And that's what we hope to do if we have the privilege of being elected to this seat. Thank you, Ryan Kojaste. You definitely should check out. What's your website, Ryan? Kojasteforcongress.com. K-H-O-J-A-S-T-E-H. It's a hard one. Thank you for that, though. And, and thank you for, for jumping on um, to talk about some of, some of those main issues about health care and uh, gun control and um, and. A beyond bloated military budget um, and the things that we could do with some of that um, if it's not uh, just going to um, wasteful projects and, right. and harmful projects. Um, how about we go to Shahid on the, on the same question? Um, I know that you're passionate about some of those things as well. How would you tie in that with, along with some of your other top priorities? Yeah, I'll start with three words, housing, healthcare, and cannabis, and I'll unpack the significance of each of them. Here in San Francisco and in urban centers around the country, we have an urban housing crisis. And it's entirely predictable. It's the issue in the mayor's race with good reason, and it divides a lot of people who might otherwise agree on a whole range of issues. At the end of the day, whatever you think of the local policy issues surrounding the affordable housing market, at the federal level, it is inescapable that the federal government has effectively abandoned the project of investing in affordable housing. It used to be the case until the late 70s that the federal government invested many billions of dollars in community uh, development block grants through HUD. The budget for those programs has fallen over 70% since Nancy, over 60% since Nancy Pelosi came into office and over 70% since its high water mark in 1977. Uh, rebalancing the federal spending priorities to actually meet the needs of the American people. Housing is a big one. Another one is health care. Uh, the cost of corporate health care are one of the leading causes of both bankruptcy and homelessness. In addition to housing, homelessness is another issue here in San Francisco. People are very concerned about one of the most uh, crucial levers we can pull at the federal policy lever layer is to make sure that people aren't driven into the street by the costs of corporate health care. It's not just the case that a single-payer, government-paid system would drive down the costs across the system, and it would, both by leveraging an economy of scale, by expanding access to preventive care, which reduces the need for people then to seek more expensive crisis care in need. It also would be an incredibly powerful lever to pull to enable job creation when U.S. businesses, large and small, are no longer burdened with the yoke of providing their employees health insurance, which only businesses in the U.S. have to 
do, mind you, because businesses in other countries, civilized countries, provide health care for their citizens. Uh, here in the U.S., and that's one of the most uh, dramatic inhibitors of, of, of hiring and job creation, Detroit auto manufacturers spend more money on their employees' health care than they do on the steel in the cars. And there's no reason for that if we just allowed uh, the government to leverage the purchasing power that we all enjoy uh, with a single-payer system. It would make the system cheap, cheaper abroad, uh, across the field. It would uh, expand and better recognize human rights. It would prevent homelessness. It would enable job creation. The same kind of intersectional policy is apparent with respect to legalizing cannabis at the federal level. We already have legal cannabis here in California, but the war on drugs uh, continues to destroy the lives of individuals, uh, of families, of entire communities, entire races around the country. You know, we have replicated a racial caste system that rivals slavery in the antebellum period in its horror. And, you know, people often forget that slavery remains legal in the United States under the terms of the 13th Amendment as long as it's a condition of, of punishment. And we have replicated, through the war on drugs, a prison industrial slavery complex, worse, at least in terms of the number of people impacted, uh, uh, than, than, than the one we proudly uh, shrugged off 150 years ago. Um, Legalizing cannabis would not only remove a pretext for a lot of police interactions, it also would enable a boom in a green industry. Like the jobs that would be available in the cultivation, the distribution, the various administrative support functions in the, the cultivation and distribution of a carbon sequestering cash crop. Contrast that with fossil fuel extraction. You've got an industry there with horribly negative environmental externalities. Cannabis is an industry with positive environmental externalities in which it just so happens our state and the Bay Area in particular is very well poised to benefit. If we were able to allow people in the cannabis industry access to banking services and interstate commerce, which is what federal legalization would enable, if we could get veterans access to cannabis instead of addictive opioids to deal with their PTSD, maybe more veterans would actually be able to survive the suicide epidemic that leaves so many of them tragically dead after they come back from armed service abroad. Uh, again, so just to sum that up, housing, I think, is the most important issue confronting San Francisco. Uh, healthcare, I think, is the most important issue confronting our country. We have the money for both of those, as my allies in the race have, have noted, from the military budget. And I think that legalizing cannabis is another of those uh, post-partisan, transpartisan positions that the American people have come together around, even as our bipartisan governance system has continued to turn a blind eye. Thank you, Shahid. Shahid. Time of day. Amazing. And reminds that a couple of uh, that uh, housing, healthcare, and cannabis. Maybe cannabis can help pay for it. Let's figure out how to be to do that. Help pay for healthcare and housing. Number one, I think you might. And number two, and I'm about to get to all three of you. Number two, I hadn't thought of your vision, but David and Goliath. David the Slingshot, he was from here. He was around, the locals were all around him. He was going to become king eventually, not so. And Goliath was from somewhere else. And so I liked your David and Goliath. I hadn't seen it that, quite that way, and then I, I did the moment you mentioned it. David the Slingshot, homeboy. But what I said, all three of you. Tuesday is Election Day. Our next program here of the Common Thread Collective will be Friday. And we'll be on each and every Friday after that. And I want to invite all three of you, all of you, and in fact, you brought together your campaign staff. I want to invite them too. You got Ryan. To all of you, thank you. Talk about building a movement. That movement that's going to go beyond Election Day. You're going to need a few days rest, but then it's ready to jump in again. What's it going to look like? 
how we can do it. I want to invite all three of you to write, come back, and we, we're not the voice of what's happening, but we're our voice of building that movement in these troubled times. What do you think of that? Mutiny Radio, come on back. Sounds great. Well, yeah, because we're really only halfway there. Yeah, because this this uh, this June fifth election is the primary exactly. for this uh, for this seat in the House of Representatives for District Twelve, um, and yeah, it, well, I mean. Pelosi, as an incumbent, obviously is going to garner a large amount of the June 5th vote because a lot of people kind of, you know, passively vote for the people who they think are good and already doing a good job and are already there. And, um, you know, that that's that's a lot of the thinking behind voting, um, unfortunately. But uh, we're, we're doing something different here at Muni Radio. We want to make sure that voices are heard. We want to make sure that... Um, Maybe some somebody in this room is going to be the number two candidate in June, so that this uh, the campaign and this coalition of progressive ideas can build up to the November election. And like Ryan was saying, it's important most of all to get um, these. Uh, get the democratic establishment at the very least um, to recognize that times have changed. We're going beyond all that. Democrat, Green, let's get together. Love one another right now. We're here in San Francisco and the movement is building. It's called resistance. It started with the Women's March. In my mind, it started with me, the new level. Involvement was the Women's March. That wasn't Democrats, but it was what it was. People were coming together. Millions, thousands and thousands of women coming together. Well, I believe there's that's, uh, that that's where the leadership is coming from. And that's what I say just to uh, end up. Goddesses galore. Sisters glorious. Well, on that note, and Barry, I, di I didn't mean to um, like not give you a chance to uh, answer that question. I thought that in, in a sense, because you were talking about the, the military budget, that that was... Um, Kind of obviously the biggest concern for you. Do you want to tie that into any other issues? Well, yes, I'm very glad that uh, she had brought up the issue of housing uh, because it really does dominate uh, uh, the discussion for uh, our mayoral candidates, um, as it should. Um, and I appreciate that a little bit of the additional background info, info regarding uh, federal funding, the lack thereof. Uh, uh, but the additional point that folks really do uh, need to understand is that homelessness in America um, was not a major, major issue like it is today uh, until the early 1980s. And that was a direct uh, result of the federal government uh, stopping to fund workforce housing. Um, I have given the example before of uh, I have a niece who's living in a two-bedroom condo in the suburbs of Phoenix. And, and it, because it was a federal project that was built in the mid-1960s, um, at the time to move into it, families I only needed to put $1,000 down. And then you just, you pay um, uh, basically fees that are used to uh, maintain the property pay property taxes or whatever, uh, but the property is never bought and sold again, so there's no speculation going on. And my brother was able to buy in, in uh, on 1990 for $10,000, you know, so from 1966 until 1990, that's all it, it went up. And I asked him last year, Randy, if you were to quote-unquote sell that unit, how much would you get? And he said, oh, about $10,000. You know, here we are 28 years later, 27 years. Um, and, and so 
my niece is living in that apartment, hasn't been, a uh, uh, condo, hasn't been formally transferred to her yet, and she's paying $409 a month, which is about one-third to one-fourth what the market rate is in that area. Federally funded housing that is run by the tenants and is never bought and sold again. It has the power to provide affordable housing in this country, and it has the power to make a significant impact on our homeless crisis. And what's really been disappointing is that Nancy Pelosi has not been an advocate for restoring the HUD budget for workforce housing all of these years. And instead, the choice has been made in Washington to have the for-profit real estate industry uh, actually be trying to provide all of our housing, which hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. We have homeless veterans dying on our streets every single day. This is immoral. Our politicians, every single one says we support the troops. But I say they do not. If we have someone who has given their service, their lives, and they come back to this country and they are treated like dirt. That's, that to me is, is just the ultimate, ultimate in hypocrisy. Thank you, Barry. And again, I just want to remind folks, you are listening to the Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm in the Mission District of San Francisco. And I'm Global Val here with Diamond Dave, and we're interviewing three of the candidates who are running for the House of Representatives seat going up against incumbent Nancy Pelosi for District 12 here in California. And um, it's, I like how we're having this discussion here today, Dave. Yeah, really, and what I'm thinking now is that uh, next Tuesday, next Friday, that's a week from today, people. The election will be behind us. I want to invite all three of you, in fact, each and every person in this room, to come on back, invite some folks, and let's take a look at the results. Take a look and see how it looks till next, uh, till November, how it looks for the next, uh, next election. Well, we can take a look and uh, read, read some election returns and scratch our mutual heads together and see how that movement, we've, all of you have talked about in one way or another, how that movement can emerge and how we can bring that come together right now and love one another. I mean, that's the song. And we do it, learning to love and loving to learn. So let's do that, Val. Next week, you guys. We'll have a little decompression. Decompression and take a look at the result. It's called Where We Go From Here. A where we go from here. Not just where we go from here, but a more aware do we go from here. Are you guys down for that? Yeah, we'll see. Invitation. Um, there's a next, the next weekend uh, after the, the election, uh, the California Green Party is having a state meeting in Stockton, uh, and I am going to go uh, to that, and I, I'm probably, it's Saturday and Sunday, and I'm planning on uh, trying to get out of town early on, on Friday and maybe going to see the Stockton Ports play baseball on Friday evening. So I don't think I'm going to be here, Dave. I'm, I'm very sorry. Yeah, I'm kind of in the I'm, same I'm boat. I'm happy to come back the, the following yeah. week. I, th no. I think we're all in the same boat. We'd love to join you. It might be hard to schedule on the air, but you know, my, my decompression no looks like DJing.
a music festival, so I, I, I won't be in the city that Friday, but I look forward to the discussion. Right on, Shahid. Yes, the multi-talented Shahid Buttar. He's a poet, too, by the way, and a DJ. Um, but I, I want to open this up, because uh, we've got a little more time, but I know some, some folks have a little bit of a time constraint, um, to questions from our audience. And I, I saw that, uh, is it David Grace over there? Uh, if you want to ask a question and, and see if our candidates here want to address that, um, go ahead. Thanks, Mel. Hey, uh, regarding Hunter's point, uh, it's been raised uh, earlier in the discussion. For 25 years, the Navy has been responsible for cleaning it up. They've been going out of their way to not clean it up, and they've been lying about their activities. So I'm wondering how uh, each of the candidates are uh, facing that off. Uh, property is being sold. Uh, I think Willie Brown tried to put the ballet school on top of that hazardous waste dump. I, they clearly don't have any respect for uh, for anybody uh, in the sale of that property or the cleanup, and that actually includes Treasure Island. You got do, do you have to be? Yeah. I do have to go, but I'll just quickly say that I think it's disgusting, and it shows a lack of regard for the sanctity of human life. And I think that we definitely need to be prioritizing that. I believe Supervisor Cohen recently championed an initiative that would have them retest the soil. I think that that needs to uh, be a priority for our city and also for the residents. And I do hope that if it is shown that it uh, is unsafe and it's inhospitable, that we immediately find a place for the residents to go. And I think that um, it's just disgusting. There's no other way to, to, to frame it. And I guess the question would be, well, you know, um, no pressure here. Go ahead, Barry. It's more than disgusting. Um, I, I believe there's some corruption here. Um, Dr. Ahimsa Samchai has been writing about this issue and uh, the toxic soils, and not only just the Bayview, but uh, out on Treasure Island as well, uh, for a long time, many years. There have been calls for hearings, which have been ignored by members of our Board of Supervisors, by our state representatives, by our federal representatives. The fact that finally this year, there was proof that 90 to 97% of the soils tested were false. And there was still silence coming from Nancy Pelosi's office is absolutely inexcusable. Here is a federal Superfund site in San Francisco, in her district, a contractor being paid tens of millions of dollars to do the work who is clearly falsifying, and there is silence from Pelosi's office. And finally, finally, Malia Cohen, Supervisor Cohen, steps forward to call for a hearing. It's embarrassing. I'm glad she did, finally. But why didn't Sophie Maxwell before that? What? what? The health and welfare of people in this district are not worth asking questions about while other people are making money? This, this is inexcusable. 
Yeah. I certainly agree with, with Barry and Ryan. This is inexcusable. It's disgusting and it's shameful. And I think it represents an all too consistent pattern of our major parties putting profit before people and corporations before communities. And you can see that revealed in such uh, glaring and, and unapologetic terms in the Hunter's Point fraud. The corporate fraud to remedy military toxic waste. I mean, in some respects, it, and, and we're talking about a toxic waste dump under the site that's supposed to be the location for the next wave of housing here in the community. And you know, if you, if you think about the intersections among those issues, the, the Hunter's Point scandal almost neatly encapsulates all the different things we're talking about, right? It's housing. It's the military uh, industrial complex co-opting our communities. It's the commitment to, in this case, corporate fraud. And I'll note a couple points here. One, there is an absent congressional oversight role that Congress is charged with playing, not just specific to Hunter's Point, but across the country. There are any number of Superfund sites that reflect environmental racism on the part of the military when dumping, for in this case, radioactive waste for a generation and a half. And now we're supposed to build housing on this? Right? I, I think there's another piece here that relates to constituent services. One of the very uh, basic things that members of Congress do, aside from guarding the Constitution against foreign and domestic enemies, is represent the rights of their constituents. When constituents have gone to Representative Pelosi's office, they've gotten a deaf ear and a stiff arm. And that, I think, is an abdication of the role. I dare say it's disqualifying. I think it's as disqualifying as expanding the surveillance powers of the Trump administration or allowing a criminal president to have a budget without any fixes for immigrant students or voting to keep the troops deployed instead of letting them come home finally after the longest conflicts in American history. I think it's as disqualifying as presiding over the evisceration of the federal budget for affordable housing, landing the city in a housing crisis. If accountability means anything, it is the need for us to shrug off a stale generation of leadership and usher in some new voices because, quite frankly, San Francisco has not been represented and entirely too long, and, and few examples uh, reflect that as deeply and as intersectionally as the scandal at Hunter's Point. Thank you, and thank you for the question. Um, yes, we, I, I, I agree with um, what was what's been said here. You know, it was the 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 Navy who then um, contracted out to the private company and then uh, the Navy itself turning its back on the uh, the um, you know gross negligence of the contractor that they hired um, that is not an American that's very un-American if, if you're gonna um, you know say that you're gonna here to protect and defend uh, the United States of America and its citizens, uh, that is a huge failure. Um, and you know what, I mean, just to jump into this conversation, because I can't really help myself, um, it's, it, it just seems like a, a legacy uh, that has been growing of um, irresponsibility uh, on the part of government um, or inability or the fear of representatives um, to actually raise these issues and to stand up for them in Washington, D.C. Um, now, I know, Shahid, you, you've done a lot of some work in Washington, D.C. Barry, have you been um, done any policy work in in Washington, D.C. before? Not in Washington, but I've, I've worked on legislation uh, here in San Francisco and have uh, successfully passed legislation that has affected uh, tens of thousands of people here in 
you know, mostly in the area of raising uh, a minimum wage uh, in the area of, of a living wage campaign. So. So my question, I guess, to both of you, because um, Ryan had to go. Thank you, Ryan Kojaste, for being part of this panel discussion, this forum, um, is how do you think, I mean, if you're elected as the District 12 representative for San Francisco, um, what do you, how do you how do you see that that environment of Washington D.C. Like, what are your kind of expectations of that, and uh, how do you think you'd kind of try to um, work within that environment that seems to put a lot of pressure on people to um, make you know corrupt compromises? You know, I, I'm, I've been in D.C. before. It is a cesspool, uh, and the description of uh, Washington compelling compromises, it really only works that way if you're advancing your career first. If you're willing to put principles or the rights and interests of your constituents or the Constitution before your career, I don't actually think serving in Washington is that, I mean, it's complicated, obviously. There's any number of things to track and stay familiar with, but it, it's not nearly as... Um, uh, uh, complicated as it might sound. It's basically a knife fight. And one of the things that makes it somewhat complicated, do you mind if I close the door? No. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Um, one of the things that makes it particularly complicated is the challenge for... Uh, um, Maybe we'll, we'll get somebody to, to close the door. Yeah, behind. thank you. Can you close the door behind you? Thank one you. One of the things that make uh, DC complicated is the um, diversion of interest. You know, that we're told in the partisan arena that there is a tension between conservative Republicans and liberal Democrats, and there's a fight in the middle, and it's that simple. And it's not, because the complicity of corporate Democrats in advancing conservative principles, in undermining progressive reforms, that's, that's really the only thing that makes it complicated, but therein lies a great deal of opportunity. So there are two particular opportunities that I would explain uh, that are available to, uh, to me if I'm able to represent um, the 12th Congressional District of, of California. In the U.S. House of Representatives, the first is oversight. So I've written a lot about the erosion of federal oversight, particularly of national security agencies. My work at the Electronic Frontier Foundation when I was running the Bill of Rights Defense Committee, my work before that at Muslim Advocates. You know, I've basically played a citizen oversight role of the FBI and the NSA and the DEA for the better part of a decade. I've organized coalitions of dozens of civil rights groups that have posed questions for senators who they've then posed at Senate Judiciary Committee hearings. Uh, I've been arrested in the Senate Armed Services Committee for asking a question that no one in Congress has the cojones to raise. Uh, and this this opportunity to ask questions of officials under oath and get answers instead of getting locked up for it uh, would be particularly compelling. Some of the questions that I would particularly force answers to, how many Americans have been subjected to so-called incidental collection by the National Security Agency? Uh, you know, how many uh, Americans have, uh, uh, you know, continue to bear penalties as a result of convictions for nonviolent drug offenses that have no constitutional basis for being criminalized in the first place, right? How many veterans could be served if we allowed uh, non-pharmaceutical treatments for depression and PTSD or anxiety, right? These are crucial questions that no one is asking that in an oversight role, uh, you could really get to the bottom of it. Another one that is particularly sharp for me in the wake of the last few weeks, we now have an international war criminal leading the CIA. And you know, this, this, the CIA torture scandal and the drone strikes uh, escalation of the agency's long-established 
established and continuing enduring human rights abuses is an, a perfect example of the bipartisan co-optation of our Constitution because Democrats have had their hands all over it. And this is an arena where, as a member of Congress, not only would I be uh, actively investigating government agencies through the oversight role, shaking facts loose to inform the news cycle, being an ally to whistleblowers instead of the kinds of members of Congress who throw them under the bus consistently. Um, in addition to that, there is a profound opportunity to work across the wings of the political system to outflank a bipartisan, a bipartisan establishment uh, that has its head in the sand. We've already established any number of places, healthcare, housing, drug policy, uh, foreign policy, where uh, corporate Democrats are basically promoting conservative principles. The way around that, there are on each of these issues, not each of them, but on many of them, certainly drug policy, parts of the foreign policy equation, civil liberties, and political process reform, there is a consensus across the political spectrum and available alliances with libertarian members of Congress who have before with, joined with progressive Democrats already overcome the institutional inertia of the bipartisan center. Uh, I'll just move one last thing. There was a recent study uh, done, I believe it was with uh, professors from Columbia University who uh, documented empirically and with some de degree of statistical rigor that the most uh, uh, prone to authoritarianism uh, perspective in the United States are centrists, which is to say it is the bipartisan establishment that by appeasing a criminal president is in danger of ducking us all into the punch of emerging authoritarianism. And, and that is the train that I hope to, to stop from reaching the next station. And that requires members of Congress who are willing to throw themselves on the tracks. And that's exactly what I'm going to Congress to do. Hey, John. I have one question. I mean, Saeed. I have one question. Do you, do you take time at all just to be an ordinary human being? Or is your mind going at all times and all times with all this stuff? It's kind of mind-blowing to hear you. And I just want to say I love you, brother. I Take you some too, time to be an ordinary human being like the rest of us. How's that? You know, I love you too, Dave. You've been an inspiration to me for, for 15 years. Folks, some folks, some of your listeners might not know that when we launched the 16th Admission Outdoor Art Convergence, uh, which has had an outdoor open mic every week for the last 15 years, one of our original inspirations was our host, Diamond Dave Whitaker. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a normal person to the extent that I have passions outside politics. In fact, I was just out at 16th Admission last night. Uh, uh, at 11.30, singing the blues. Okay, um, well, that's all that. And he's going to DJ a festival next weekend, I, I, from what I hear. We're doing all this stuff, but it's up to you to talk to yourself a bit. You're talking to me, you're talking to everybody here, you're talking to your best listener, but talk to yourself a, bit, a little bit sometime and say, how I can, can I take some time after Tuesday to take some time and you, you, you don't want to give yourself a brain explosion too much because I'm like, what, my God, what's going to happen to this dude's brain? And just take a little quiet, a little rest, and we'll see what happens. You're one of you, brother. maybe you, will be the number two with Nancy Pelosi and one of the two of you. But the rest will come, and then we'll be the first day of the rest of our lives, and let's figure out what to do and how to do it and come together as equals, as brothers and sisters, sisters and brothers, human beings here at the planet. In the greenest of the green, state, city, neighborhood, the mission, green. And thank you. In fact, I just I think what we're getting down to here is that Diamond Dave cares about everybody's well-being, as we do here on the Common Thread Collective. Um, but uh, being here today has been uh, really 
enlightening conversation. I'm glad that we got to have three of the candidates to come into the same room. We can kind of see where some of these issues, um, you know, definitely cross over between and amongst the candidates, but also just within this kind of voting block that we really um, can have here, especially in San Francisco, a movement of people um, who are seen and are no longer have the blinders on about the two-party system that has really failed us in many respects. Um, you know, I, I also would, you know, give credit to all of our public servants, but um, certainly um, not to the uh you know the, the the corruption of of those values that may have put them in there in the first place but i think that the values in this room um really represent a new era of ethical uh, representation um and certainly passion that can take us forward and out of some of this mess so what do you say housing health care and cannabis let's figure it out dave just keep it organic brother that's right. Don't panic. Keep it organic. That's Shahid Buttar, um, your your uh, website is shahidforchange.us. That's right. And Barry Hermanson, your website is barryforcongress.org. And Bar it's a number four. Barry for Congress. B A R R Y. Yes. Congress.org. Sorry. Yeah. Barryforcongress.org. Oh, thank you. Oh, we're getting, we're getting taken care of here because this is community. Thank you. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, if you have any other final comments you want to make, and then we'll kind of wrap it up and, and uh, go back, go into the rest of our programming here this afternoon. But we're certainly happy that you're here and uh, flexible. Go ahead, Barry. Well, I just, I just want to say to all the other candidates, um, during this last few days uh, before the election, it's uh, traditionally it's a time of just incredible stress. You wake up in the morning and you say, what is it that I haven't done? Uh, I, what can I do extra in order to get up over the top? Um, I've done this before. And, and uh, you know, I finally I finally decided it's I've done the work. I know you've done the work, Shahid, uh, that it, it's time just to have some fun yes do some work do some work but enjoy the last few days of the campaign yeah and thanks val for bringing us together it's always fun to share a forum Thanks, you guys. All right. Well, folks, you have been listening to the Candidates Forum for District 12 of California, re representing San Francisco in the House of Representatives. Shahid Buttar, Barry Hermanson, and Ryan Kajaste joined us here today. They're all challenging Nancy Pelosi, and I wish all of you great um, luck, and I think... Um, it's beyond luck right now. We're just, uh, I think I think we're seeing a real change in this country, and I think that a lot of change is possible. And we're, we're talking about it, and we're seeing it happen right here, right now, at Mutiny Radio, here in the Mission District of San Francisco, uh, where we like to pr uh, support and promote and practice free speech um, because it, it's, a, it's kind of a solemn reminder that um, there are many people in this world, and not just uh, far and away, but in this community um, who don't have the right to exercise their right to vote um, or fear exercising their right of free speech. And, um, you know, we're here to send uh, love 
and positivity uh, and a hope for peace and that we can have all this uh, these wonderful new leaders who are emerging to come out and and move us in that direction in a, in a grander systemic sense uh, while the rest of us here hanging out in the mission district uh, can you know warm your hearts lead with a guitar in our hand and our brother John is coming back with a song and then we have these two sisters these two sisters just come in hey Val then we have these two sisters who are going to be playing some guitar too oh wonderful so leaders can exist but by the way I, I say goddesses glory sisters glory this women stepping up hey Michelle okay. and one of the ways to step might step up is with a guitar in your hand right on so, now, so John get up there and then these two women are, are, are getting together and they're going to come up and uh Take us to our next uh, whatever. All right. Well, while John gets set up, I'll play a little music while he gets his microphones adjusted. You're listening to the Common Thread Collective. And remember, we love you.
music from Rastaria, uh, that song. I love to play that song. It's called Illegal. Um, illegal immigration is just an illusion. And as Diamond Dave would say, borders are just a line on their map. And so here at the Common Threat Collective, uh, we, we, we believe in coming together because we all share this one planet. And uh, why would we want to hurt each other to share it? So... We've got John Rodanio back up on the stage. He opened the show for us today, and he's back with his guitar. And take it away, John. Welcome back. Thank you. So, uh, although I just did a song by, uh, open with a song by my wife, Vicki Leitner, I'm going to do another Vicki Leitner song because I think some of our candidates need to hear it. So, this one's called Peanuts. They have a salt peanuts. Peanuts. They give us peanuts. The Democrats give us peanuts. Republicans. They take our peanuts. They take our poor peanuts away. and Republicans really the same Their only difference just in name Dems give you peanuts, repubs take them away Bear the boat, deep ass shit and pay for play This land is your land, it ain't no more Rule by big business and that's the score Peanuts They give us peanuts Democrats Give us peanuts. Republicans, they take our peanuts. They take our peanuts away. Shrinking middle class, they ought to make a fuss. Sadly, if you're poor, tossed under the bus. No aristocracy, ha, that's a joke. Workers are just slaves renamed held by yoke. People come together, we can't just shout and scream. Stand up and join in a global dream. Peanuts. They give us peanuts. Democrats. Give us peanuts. Republicans. They take our peanuts. They take our peanuts away. land is your land, this earth is one. Can live on 20 bucks, we're not scum. Can let them rape the earth, treat us like their minions. People stand up, we've done this before. Yes, we can say that it is glass war. Peanuts. They give us peanuts. Democrats. Give us peanuts. Republicans, they take our peanuts. They take our peanuts away. Peanuts. 
take our poor peanuts away. Speak truth to power, don't sit on your ass. Shout, scream, don't buy from the ruling class. Raping the earth, causing mass slaughter. Poisoning the air and land, killing sons and daughters. People come together, it's their finest hour. We got the numbers to take the power. Peanuts. They're giving us peanuts. The Democrats. Give us peanuts. Republicans, they take our peanuts. They take our peanuts away. <laughs> right on, John Rodano. <laughs> Uh, and Vicky for her for her her lyrics to that song. You have any uh, shows coming up, John? Uh, I not till September. Not till September. September. So I'll come back in and if I talk about it now, nobody will remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's possible. That's probably true. September so, uh, seems right around the corner. Would you like to sing another song? Yeah. So I'm gonna do another song uh, called Mr. San Francisco, and this pretty much covers everything that a uh, a. Uh, candidate might want to know about San Francisco, so. Well, I'm packing up my bags, get set for moving day. Gotta go and find me a cheaper place to stay. You know the rents, they keep on rising. It's getting to be more than I could pay. Well, I might be better off if I just move across the bay. So I'm checking out the Craigslist, nothing coming up. Go to get some coffee, it's four bucks a cup. And the deli on the corner is now a salam on there. For a buck I get a pickle and a really cold-hearted stare. San Francisco's moving out, Manhattan's moving in. You could hardly tell the difference when you're looking from Marin. If you wanna understand it, you gotta read some Howard Sin. Cause the working poor are moving out and big money's moving in. And now the artists and musicians getting scattered all around. The teachers get the message, there's no place for them in town. And the tourists wanna see the painted ladies, not just houses in the old field floor. But the color in the city just ain't gonna be here no more. Well, I'm Mr. San Francisco, I don't wanna leave. I can't beat the magic of Mayor Lee Sleeve. So much money in the city, I never believe. So they're building all these condos, they're blotting out the sky. But none of them are built for me, there's nothing I can buy. Just a bunch of stacked up boxes, ticky tacky, and they all look the same. Move over, Nostradamus. Melvina has much better aim. That's Melvina Rice. Well, whatever happened to the power of the vote? All these changes being made by the biggest bank note. So I went to City Hall to see if I can get me some kind of break. But they're having a big old party. And they gave me a piece of cake. 
Well, there's so much construction, they're building dead and night. And all the backroom deals will never see the light. And they say if they keep building, they'll be housing for one and all. It's about the biggest scam that they ever kicked up in City Hall. I'm just hanging on I try to tell my story to the gate in the cron They act like I'm just talking about some dirty strap-on Well, you never know what it really means Until you finally go To miss the festival things you left back in San Francisco Just another little piece of my heart And it really ain't so well hid I'm gonna come back to visit just like Mr. Tony Bennett did. And now we used to be a city of love with flowers in our hair. But now, but now the blue recycle bins are the only way we share. Will it take another earthquake to get us all back together? With Joe DiMaggio in that soup line, it made us feel a whole lot better. Got through the darkest days of murder, buried milk, and the mayor couldn't stop the Kool-Aid killer, 900 lost in prayer. And if you eat a Twinkie, you know the craziness just won't stop. And my wife's on the corner, and she's giving some flowers to a cop. Well, I'm Mr. San Francisco, I don't want to leave. I can't beat the magic of Mayor Lee Sleeve. So much money in the city. Chinatown to the mission, Richmond to Hunter's Point. Everybody sits together when they go to Tommy's Joint. But there's a dark side to the city as her classes split into two. Need a bigger room in the North Beach Saloon. Then drink away your troubles with the blues. We got this rainbow of love From Castro to the fairies We won the Super Bowl We won the World Series And we partied all night in the street With our glory for happy and our glory and our fame But too many had no home to go to And that's our biggest shame Right on, hey, John. Uh, you always, you always nail it. It's so good to have you here. And hey, outside the door, Val, is two of Trio Cambio. I was calling it a Trio Cambio duet. So let's put some music on. And they're out there practicing. I know they'll have something which will fit right in. I'm doing the sisters standing up. Trio Cambio duet coming up. So put some music on, if you will. I will. And I'm sure you have some things to say. I'm going to go get them. I do. Well, also, I'll let you guys know that MAP is happening tomorrow. That's the Mission Arts and Performance Project. Um, I'm sure that the duo of Trio Cambio will be mentioning that. They're going to be performing in MAP, I think, in the Secret Garden tomorrow evening. MAP um, is a free event where you can go to various spots around the Mission District that have opened up their doors um, to become 
art and performance venues. So check out the schedule for tomorrow, June 2nd, MAP, that's M-A-P-P-S-F dot com, or on Facebook, Mission Arts and Performance Project. I'm going to play a song from a band that a one of the founding members and elders of MAP uh, is part of, I'm talking about Jorge Molina, and who knows, we might see him a little bit later today. He sometimes comes in right before MAP um, to give a blessing, but um, uh, Jorge Molina is part of a really cool band called the Troublemakers Union and he gave us their CD called Fight Back and the song that we love to play the most off of this um, even though they're all very good is the anti-fascist funk. Yeah. 